You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but an excellent one. It is ESPN's Dan Orlovsky. If you are a football fan, you are certainly familiar with his work. He has been uh, one of the leading NFL voices for that network, also does college football as well. His assignments, or his current assignments, include NFL Live, which he appears near daily, Get Up, First Take, also is on the second NFL package for Monday Night Football with Chris Fowler, Lewis Riddick, and Loris, Laura Rutledge. Uh, that's a very, very good group, or has been a very, very, very good group. And you also have seen Dan on ABC during the college football season. He'll occasionally pop in to do studio work. And we had an excellent conversation just on um, his, his reputation as well as his ability to break down film, which is where I think he has separated himself in, in the space. And that's become really, really valuable, particularly for smart football fans, sort of to get an education, uh, especially when you look at those all 22 tapes on like, how do you, why did this work? And explain to me as a fan, educate me as a fan as to, um, to why this play worked in this game. So we get into sort of Dan's preparation, um, how he goes about doing stuff on air, talked about the success of NFL live and why that show has worked. It's very, very clear that all those cast members are very fond of each other. Get a little bit into Dan um, nearly going to Fox. They made him a pretty nice offer, and and he contemplated that. And then some other stuff with Dan Orlovsky. I think uh, you will find this interesting. So uh, ESPN NFL and college football analyst Dan Orlovsky coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, if you're an NFL fan, you know who this person is, but I, I will give him his uh, flowers, his resume here. Dan Orlovsky's been an NFL and college football analyst for ESPN since 2018. Did some work for the NFL Network before then. His current assignments include NFL Live, which he appears near, near daily. It's on Get Up, First Take. He calls the, um, the second NFL package that ESPN Disney have. And that's now become a legitimately serious package, just given the amount of games that they have. He does that with Chris Fowler, Lewis Riddick, Laura Rutledge. Um, they were just in London. So that's a pretty sweet assignment actually on that second package. And then sometimes you see Dan as well on ABC during the college football season. And with that, please to be joined by Dan Orlovsky. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. It's good to be here. You got them all. You certainly, you labeled them all that I'm a part of, thankfully. So it's good to be with you. That's the end of the podcast, Dan. Just your resume, basically. We got to, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> Took enough time. Yeah. All right. So here's where I want to start. Um, you you have gained at a reputation at ESPN and from viewers for your on camera film analysis. I, like I know you obviously do other things, and obviously when you're doing first take or get up, you, you got to talk about other sports. But by and large, I think one of the things that 
has really helped you professionally is that you're good on air breaking down um, football concepts in a layperson way so that we as fans can um, can understand. So I want to start with a very broad question. In 2023, how important is it for a football analyst to be able to break down film quickly and succinctly on television? I think it's a separator for guys like myself and, and anybody who's being a football analyst. I think, you know, because of two things, number one, in many ways, social media and um, how much access fans have to football and not only football, but there's so many different people in general, just breaking down football plays on social media uh, that, you know, there's a lot to be desired for the fans when it comes to that. And there's a lot that fans want to learn and, and want to learn about that. And I think the second thing is there is a big part of TV that is opinionated um, TV when it comes to that stuff. So often breaking down football isn't opinionated really. It is almost scientific. It's repeatable. It's observable. And I think that brings um, a lot of interest to fans. I think it brings a lot of credibility to the, the, the analysts breaking down the football or talking about the football. I think it, it brings a, a level of evidence to the things that they're saying. You know, uh, I think like one of the things for me is I think it's really difficult to go on a TV and be a football analyst today and say things that are incorrect, like factually incorrect because of all those things that I just said. It, you, you're going to be disproven too quickly. Now you're going to say opinions that people disagree with. Um, but when you have the ability to evidence wise video visually justify or prove why you're saying what you're saying, I think it's a separator. One of the things that I find interesting about your career is that, you know, it's a bit of a cliche here, but I, I like put you, I put you in the uh, football at, like you, to me, you're sort of a 2.0 football analyst. When, when I was young and growing up, the, uh, the traditional analyst would tell you things, but they wouldn't necessarily display it with something. Some of that, the technology didn't exist. John Madden obviously right. became very famous with the Telestrator. But even if you look at the Telestrator today, like what Madden was doing, it, it, you know, it's like walking on the moon in 1969. It's like yeah, a different, it's sure. like a relic, basically. You started doing this on social media, right? You did this mm -hmm. on your Instagram account. And I wonder, um, so two questions on this. One, like, did you start doing this because you thought this would lead to a uh, career or a, like a media career? Or yeah. were you just such a football wonk that you're like, okay, I have a little bit of a following because I played in the NFL. People always ask me about this stuff. So I'm going to put it on my Instagram feed so you can sort of understand a little bit more about football. Yeah, definitely the latter. You know, the, the story is uh, I didn't have much of a social media following when I got started. I got cut in 2017. I was with the Rams. Sean McVay kind of called me and said, hey, you know, I know we had this plan. We're going to go a different direction. Great. And I was home. I believe it was either a Sunday night or Monday night football game. It was the Panthers versus the Dolphins. This is with Cam Newton. I'm watching the game. And Cam gets to the line of scrimmage and he sees an all-out pressure, meaning everybody's going to blitz and they're going to play man coverage. And he sees the play and he checks to a wide receiver screen at the line of scrimmage. He throws the screen, walk-in touchdown. And as I'm watching it and as a football nerd, I'm like, oh, that's so good, Cam. Like, I loved it. I just – every aspect about it, I knew exactly what happened and why it happened. And the broadcast didn't touch it. 
And I was sitting there thinking to myself, and I went to my wife and I said, dude, people need to know how cool that was and like how and why that happened. It's so awesome. And so she's like, you should just make a video and put it on the internet. And immediately I was like, that's stupid. I hate social media. It's like, no. I sat there for three minutes and I was like, all right, you're right. So I got up, I turned my cell phone sideways like I still do nowadays and muted the television. I broke down the play and I posted it on the internet and I went to bed. I think I put it on Twitter at that time, went to bed, woke up the next morning and it had gone pretty viral. And in that moment, Richard, I was like, that's it. That's the thing. People, I, I've always felt people wanted this stuff and craved it. And um, I love doing it. I love the nerd stuff about football. And um, I think in that moment, it certainly piqued my interest of may, maybe this will lead to something. And I kind of started doing it just because I loved it. But I also was very aware that other people and fans loved it. So it kind of both those things happened at the same time for me. Do you happen to remember if somebody recently after you posted it contacted you, whether it was an agent, a broadcast agent, yep. or some yep. somebody from the network? Okay, so so people, do you remember who? Like, so somebody, so people, Peter saw Schrager, Peter Schrager. Okay, yep. uh, now the NFL Network. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. So there you go. That's a in, in some ways that's an interesting lesson about the power of social media, Amen. Um, and where it could lead to. Um. You have um. You have really found some terrific success at ESPN. And one of the things that you provided them, having covered them for a long time, which is really important to them is sort of tonnage. They really like people who can do a lot of things, um, are willing to appear on a lot of different shows. At the same time, Dan, and I think you know this, um, it's not an easy place sometimes to get promoted. It's not an easy place sometimes to um, get assignments. The reality is, let's just be blunt, it can be a very political place depending on which bosses like you and which do not. But you've navigated this pretty well. So I wanted to ask you, how have you been able to navigate ESPN where there are certainly many examples of people who have not been able to do that? Yeah, I think number one, like I've just tried to remain myself, you know, and tried to, tried to stay committed to doing it the way that kind of opened the door for me. Um, I haven't, you know, gotten caught up in any of the behind the scenes stuff or, or like the, the, I guess the political stuff. I've tried to just, kind of go about my business. And I, I think like probably two or three things stand out for me. So Jimmy Pataro has been great to me since I got here. And when, when I say that, I mean, like Jimmy's really allowed me to be myself. You know, there, there is a part of me that is, um, I guess relatively different than a lot of people at most networks, certainly at ESPN when it comes to that stuff, he's allowed me to kind of, Hey, I really want to do this. And, and, and like, trusted in that and in, in the process of that. I think Burke Magnus is the same thing for me. Like Burke has always been somebody for me that Richard is, he's just been like, just you be yourself and trust in the things that you believe in and it'll open the right opportunities for you. And he's always championed me in that way. Both those guys really have just really championed me in that way. And I think that's freed me up um, to kind of be myself in that regard. Uh, and I think the second thing is, um, I am a firm believer in like just going about d doing it on a daily basis the right way. And that doesn't mean it's going to be for everybody. And it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, it's always going to be, uh, something that everybody believes like that is the only way to do it. But it very much so is kind of the foundation of who I am as an analyst. Um, 
I'd also say this, like I'm from Connecticut. I was born and raised here. I live here now. My wife is from Philadelphia. Um, it's just a, a reality that it's easier for us to live in the Northeast and in Connecticut. So accessibility uh, in comparison to some people who don't. Um, and I think that has been a benefit of mine as well. I want to ask you about, uh, let's talk about NFL Live, because obviously everyone associated with that show um, has found uh, success at ESPN, um, not yeah. only on that show, but then elsewhere. And one of the things that's, that you guys have made very clear, um, and I, I had Lydell King and Mark Eisman on this podcast uh, not too long ago. Um, yeah, good people. And they, yeah, and they confirmed this as well. That everybody on the set really likes each other. Like you, you know, in the word in wrestling, they you know, they kayfabe basically means you're faking it. Like you're not faking yeah. it. Like people, you nah. guys would hang out away from the set um, yeah. if you guys were not involved in television. And one of the things yeah. that I've, um, you know, just obviously talking to many, many, many analysts over the years, um, you form your chemistry usually off the set. But it really is very, very hard to fake it on the set. You really got to be a really yeah, yeah. good actor to do that. So I would ask you, like, from now now that you've been in the business now, you know, whatever it is, six, six, seven years, um, could could that show work? Like, if you disliked Ryan Clark or if you thought Marcus Spears was an asshole, <laughs> like, I'm wondering no. if, like, could you could you pull that up? No. So you say no? Why? Uh, certain. So you know, like one of the things that stands out about that show. And this probably goes back to a little bit of my previous answer with the whole, like how I've, I've navigated it thing. I think one of the things that I've learned to be the one of the most important qualities when it comes to being in this business is you better be a good teammate and have good teammates because it's a very individualized business and it's a very cutthroat, you know, stab you in the back and not want to say stab you in the back, but like me centric business. And I think that's one of the qualities that I've become very aware about is like, be, just be a great teammate, not only for the show that you're on, but also for the network you work for. So I think that's one of those things that has helped me personally in that. And also one of the things that stands out about NFL Live, it wouldn't work if those guys were that or, or I was or whatnot, because first of all, we're basically on five days a week together. Um, when you start the season, there's all that new energy and yeah, and this is awesome. When you get into like the middle of October, November, and like through the first couple weeks of December, there is a grind daily. There is a, you know, almost mundane aspect of it. You know, the reality is there's only so many times that we can go on and tell people like this team can't run the football or this team can, or man, this passing game is good. You know, so you've got to be really, you got to have really good working partners to on a daily basis in many ways, like talk about the same stuff, but differently. And it's not always easy. And I know that doesn't sound like I'm not sitting here saying like this job is, Oh my gosh, so difficult, but it's not easy. And I think, um, the, the teamwork and the teammates that all of us are to each other, the, the real level of respect that we have for each other. Like the perfect example is if, if I bring an idea to the show, okay, I want to talk about the Houston Texans defense and Ryan Clark's like, we got to hit on CJ Stroud. There's got to be this level of like respect for each other to be like, okay, what's what's the most important thing when it comes to Houston for us to talk about right now with the viewer, you know? And and um, and I, I just don't think that if we disliked each other, 
um, it would go well because it, it, when you're when you're getting into like those Wednesdays, Thursdays in November, man, it becomes so obvious if you're enjoying not only what you're doing but who you're doing it with. I want to ask you one more thing about um, the the makeup of that group because this is particularly interesting to me. Um, the realities of sports television, particularly the NFL, is we have seen so many people who are Hall of Famers or borderline Hall of Famers in similar yeah. positions on studio shows. You take like Fox NFL Sunday as an example. You know, Bradshaw, Hall of Famer, one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Howie Long, you know, one of the great defensive players of all time. Jimmy Johnson, Hall of Fame coach, et cetera. Now, anybody like, you know, when fans start to say like, this guy sucks or this guy sucks, it's kind of foolish to me because like, you have no idea how great an athlete you have to be to make any professional sport. So yeah. Ryan Clark, Marcus Spears, yourself, you were all, you're all in the 1% to even make the NFL. But the reality sure. is, like, the the three of you were really good. You were good players, but you're not going to the Hall of Fame. Mina Kimes obviously yes. did not play football at all and is very, very unique, a unicorn in some in many ways in that she's an NFL analyst um, now and not just a moderator or something like that. So I wonder, do you think part of why the show works is because the four of you, at least in the analyst position, um, we're not anointed. Do you know what I mean? As like these Hall of Famers and you just pop up on set. And in some ways, you know, sometimes you can get away with just being Hall of Famer X. I think that it's, to me, it's interesting. That's part of the reason I think it works is because in some ways, none of you started that show being really famous. That's my take. I, I think it's the number one reason why it works outside of like the relationships. Yeah. It's the right. number one reason why it works because none of us are good enough or have the cachet or the reputation football wise to, to just show up. You can't be on that show because of the makeup of the show and not watch what we're going to talk about. You can't, you'll get exposed too quickly because I know this, like I'm watching every snap. And so I like my teammates, like, so Marcus and me and Ryan, like I need to know and trust that those guys are going to watch every single snap that we're going to talk about. And I think part of it is because we owe it to the people at home. And then like, knowing that and knowing that none of us can just show up, it, it constantly keeps us almost on an edge. It constantly keeps uh, almost like, I guess a productive paranoia in a way of, I, I can't like Dan Orlovsky can't go on television and just say, man, this, you know, the, the Cowboys lost the game because of the turnover battle that I can't do that, you know, like in Norkin Marcus or Norkin Ryan. And so I think the main reason why that show has become what it's become is because we don't have the ability to just show up and say anything. We have to go do the homework and we have to bring things to viewers that um, you can't really get any, anywhere else is not giving them. When um, when you are working, obviously, if you're working like uh, um, Monday Night Football, uh, you, you know, you're going to really, really study heavily, obviously, those two teams. When it comes to something like NFL Live and it's Monday or Tuesday, what's your preparation approach? Like, it seems like it would be time wise impossible to watch every snap of every game on Sunday. So do you yes. do you pick certain quarters? Do you pick certain games? How do you do it in terms of prep? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so one, I am not just saying this. I don't, I don't make a big deal over it. I think I owe it to people at home. I watch every snap. 
Okay. I will not go in, on TV and talk about a game or a play if I have not watched it. So, you know, early on, so like 2019, 2021, I would sit down at one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and I would have five games going on, like, you know, one on the TV or red zone and then four on my laptop screen. And then I would spend the whole day from one o'clock to the end of Sunday night football, watching football live. And it, 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 throughout the afternoon, I would start rewatching some of the one o'clock games. It was just too much. So what I started to do last year was like try to create a little bit more time for myself and my family on Sunday. So maybe not sit down and be totally glued at one o'clock because I'm only going to watch the game over anyway. So right around like four or five o'clock on a Sunday, I will start watching games that I know I will be talking about Monday morning and I will rewatch every snap from about four or five of the games. And usually it's, you know, the, the usual suspects, the main hitters on Monday morning. And so I watch tape uh, till about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I'll try to, again, watch four or five games. I don't watch Sunday night football live. I'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning on Monday and I will start rewatching Sunday night football. Um, then in, in the, on the car, in the way to New York from my house in Connecticut. So I rewatched Sunday night football. So I'm ready for it. Um, and then throughout the day, Monday, I'll start watching games again that I haven't watched yet and getting in pre preparation for like a Monday NFL live. And, and so on Tuesday, wake up Tuesday morning at about five, I start watching the games that I haven't watched. I'll send clips to our producer, Mark Eisman. And so he just starts to formulate some of his thoughts. And I usually get most of the games done by, Wednesday, there might be a game or two that I get done by Thursday. Um, but Thursday at the latest, I'll, I'll watch every snap. And I honestly don't say that for like bragging. I don't. I say that because I truly at my core believe that we owe it to people at home to actually have watched what we're talking about. And I can't stare myself in the mirror and talk about it if I haven't watched it. So um, it's a lot of film. It, it takes about 16 or 18 hours, but I love it. So it's, it's not like a drag for me. Um, anybody in your position, obviously is going to be asked at the beginning of the year, like what's your Super Bowl pick. Um, and you make that at the time in the, in the, you know, before the game start, but then once the game start, um, and you're able to sort of, um, see teams and like, you know, someone in your position, obviously you're really watching film heavy. Like at what point of the season do you feel comfortable, like telling the audience, like, I think this is going to be a, Super Bowl team. And I don't know if maybe it's week 17, maybe it's week eight, but it, is there once the, does the film for you at a certain point start to tell you, okay, I think this is the group that's going to be there at the end. And if so, when is that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably within like the middle of October is when you can, you can feel really confident about that. As long as that team has played another team, that is in that grouping that you believe is a, a, a high-end football team for you? And how did they fare? You know, uh, I, I think that, you know, the re reality of our business is it's t 12 months a year. And so during the offseason and during preseason, we're asked to kind of predict and see things before they happen. And sometimes you're just turning it into a guessing game. That's just the nature of sometimes what we do. It's not necessarily the fun part. Um, but I think by the time you get to mid-October and teams start to show you who they are, as long as their health is what it, you're hoping most teams are healthy and they've played in a team, at least competition-wise, that is in the upper echelon of teams in your viewpoint that they are, I think by mid-October, you kind of have a really good feel about who is who in the NFL. Mm, it's interesting. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to uh, switch back to you and your career for a bit. You you mentioned earlier that um, you're Connecticut-based. Obviously, you played at the University of Connecticut, so this has been home for a while. But, you know, there was a point when you were negotiating um, what your future would be. You talked to Fox. You think you've been open with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that was a serious offer from them. And you clearly seriously considered oh, yeah. that what was, what was the reason that you ultimately decided to stay with ESPN <laughs> and was geography any part of that? Cause obviously, um, most of Fox's base is, is Los Angeles based. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the guys at Fox. Um, they like just interacting with them and hanging out with them. I can't say enough good things about them. I honestly like just, I remember you know, having opportunity to spend some time with them. And every time I would call my agents over at CAA and be like, they're just such good dudes. You know, you just walk away being like, those are good people. I, I kind of, you, you you can see yourself in many ways going to work with and or for them on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I guess the, the, the reasonings, you know, of, of staying um, were, I'd be lying if geography didn't play a part of it. I'm, I'm from the East coast. Again, my wife from Philly, we have four kids that are 11 and soon to be eight years old. Yeah, so that, that right. does, yep. Yep. that does factor into it. Um, I, I think for me, one, the people at ESPN or the people specifically at NFL live were a big part of it. Like Marcus and I got drafted the same year and I've known Marcus for almost 20 years now. Uh, um, Ryan Clark, I've known for a long time, but I've worked together for like those two have become family to me, you know, in many ways. I've, I've had conversations with those guys that I don't know if I've had conversations like that with 10 people in my life. Um, I know their families. Um, I've worked ever since I got it to ESPN. I've been with Laura Rutledge. You know, L- Laura is like family to me. And so um, Mina Kimes, you know, I knew of Mina was before I started got to work with her and just the friendship that we've created. And then Mike Greenberg gave me, you know, my first opportunity to be on like a big time show at ESPN. So um, Stephen A. Smith calls me and gives me a day on first take and tells me, go be yourself. So I I think part of it was just like the people that you get to work on a daily basis with. Um, And I felt there was a little bit of unfinished business for me at ESPN. You know, I I do have goals and I do have aspirations and I do want to go conquer things. And I hadn't done that yet. So um, it was both. You know, both offers were really cool and, you know, really cool to be a part of. And it was a tough decision. I'll have to deal with it again, hopefully, at some point here. So, um, but it, it was it was probably the people that were the biggest thing. Got you got a couple of years left at ESPN. You don't have to give the specifics, but that's, that, is that the case? Yeah, I think something like that. I think it's a couple of years. All right. Everybody. I try not to pay attention to that. Oh, Dan, you're, you're, that's, a be- that's, a, that's a beautiful talent answer that you just gave me there. Um, <laughs> all right, so a couple more things um, here. One of the um, people in your position, and understandably so, you're someone who has done games, and it, clearly I think yeah. you like it. Um, it plays to your love of film and love of breaking down stuff. 
The reality of all this, of course, is that there's only a finite amount of a chair jobs in the business. There's, there's, you no know, doubt. there's Aikman, Collinsworth, Romo, whatever. Everybody knows who they are. Herb Street. Everybody knows who they are. So you, you have one of the, I think, best jobs right now as a football analyst. You get to morph between games in the studio. You're obviously one of the, if not the most famous place. But if you have aspirations to sort of get, try to get that chair, um, would you be, how do I ask this? Like, w- would you be okay if that doesn't happen? And the reality is it might not happen simply because mm. there's five chairs and 340 million people on, on in, in the U.S. You know what I'm saying? Like, the odds yeah, are, the totally. odds are generally speaking, not in your favor on this one. Totally. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'm very aware of, you know, who I am. I'm aware of what my playing career was in relation to some of those people who, who do have some of those A chairs. Um, so while I, I absolutely believe that I am good enough and capable enough and um, willing to put in the work to go and not only have one of those chairs, but to deserve it and to be really stinking good at it, I'm aware that part of that is not in my control. Um, and would I be okay if I don't get it? I'll be, I'm just going to be, as always, I'm the most honest person. I'm, I, I don't think I would be, I, I don't think I would be. I think at some point I want that opportunity and I, I, I want to work towards that opportunity. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just turned 40. Sometimes, you know, my guys over at CAA, CAA will like remind me in relation to like the landscape of, you know, who are like yeah, age wise. That, that's a, ver- that's so, a very young person in the business still. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't, I don't think I'd be okay with it. No. Um, I, I, that's something that I want. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, I'm not afraid to go try and chase it down. Um, and kind of, we'll see what happens with that. But, um, I, I don't think I'd be okay just passing on that. No. I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate the honesty and the transparency. You really remind me of Lewis Riddick, who I've talked to many, many times. He's the exact same this way. This is awesome, man. Yeah. He will awesome, basically man. say, no, this is what I want. I'm going to say it publicly, and and that's that. So I, I totally yeah. respect that. Um, all right. A couple of things. By the way, if this is an ESPN thing, that's fine. I have no problem with you if this is the case and you want to sell the soap here. What's the first NFL media-related thing that you read every morning? Oh, um. I'd probably go to Twitter, to be honest with you. Like, um, I don't, I don't know if I read a ton of NFL media, just being honest. Like when I sit down in the morning, I go to tape. Um, you know, I just start watching tape and I do go to Twitter and see if anything news is going on or, um, if any, you know, kind of reports have been, you know, kind of shared by certainly Shefty and whatnot, but, I don't make it a purpose to go sit down and read any NFL news or media other than kind of Twitter and whatnot. And certainly hitting Schefter every morning, kind of seeing if, if he's reported anything. That's probably for the most part, other than like, hey, I got my own stuff to take care of tape wise. So let's get to work. Right, we're going to end with some fun ones. You played for the University of Connecticut, obviously you had success yeah. there. If I could give you um, like an alternative kind of life and I let you play quarterback at any college. As eighteen year old Dan Orlovsky, what would you choose and why? When am I playing quarterback there? Like right now or when I was coming out of school? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, when you're coming out of school. Yeah, that's because you're right, because football has changed. Let, let's make it when you're coming out of school because that's sort of fair to your era. Yeah. So 
my initial reaction to say is I want my dream school is Boston College. I wanted nothing more than go to Boston College. Um, I camped there forever. They told me I wasn't good enough, so I hate them. Um, if but outside of that one, if I had gone or could have gone anywhere, I would have gone to Penn State. Um, I went on a unofficial visit to Penn State and to a whiteout game, and I saw them play Purdue, and I just remember it being unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life um, when it came to, you know, the stadium and whatnot. So if one place, it would have been Penn state for sure. Is the, is the Boston college love like Glenn Foley related or is that the era or something else? Uh, Glenn Foley was like one of my favorite players growing up for sure. Um, and obviously and Flutie, Flutie before that. Yeah. The Hasselbacks yeah. too. That's right. And then the Hasselbacks and I, I would camp at, at BC with the Hasselbacks and their brother, Nathaniel and whatnot. Um, but the recruiting coach came to me quick little story. I don't want to take too much of your time, but the recruiting coach sat down with me at high school. And this is when I didn't know if they were going to offer me yet or not. And he was like, Hey Dan, I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, listen, we like you. And you're like the pretty girl, one of the pretty girls at school, but we want the prettiest and you're not the prettiest. And I was like, I have no idea what you're trying to say, but are you going to offer me or not? And they were like, no, no offer. So I was that is um, devastated. That's cold. Uh, I figured you might have yeah. said L- LSU, just given who your uh, castmates are on the on that. Yeah, no, no, I, I hate on their school as much as I can. <laughs> Although I've been, I've, it's the only SEC game I've ever been to. I will say, man, being at uh, LSU for a night game against Alabama, I've never seen anything like that. It was incredible. It's oh yeah, God. I've never done an, a night game at LSU. I've done a couple of day games, which in and of themselves are unbelievable. But oh. everyone always says that night game LSU is sick. Yeah, it was amazing, and uh, like as a New Yorker, like floating through that area, man, like I might as well have been like had four heads. It, I was like a, uh, I was an alien to them. It was great. It was really, really yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. and uh, it yeah. was fun. Though. I thought you're you're not you're not a Canadian. No, I live in Toronto now, but I'm a New Yorker. Oh, I lived in oh, yeah, no, okay. I lived in uh, I, I lived in the, the concrete jungle Manhattan for many many years. Oh, so. okay, okay, I got you. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, so two more. Uh, This is always fun to ask uh, uh, any broadcaster. What's one sporting event? outside of your area, which is the NFL, or even William College, know fo- it. College Football on there, that you would love to call, and why? The Ryder, the Ryder Cup. Oh. Um, the Ryder Cup is the one sporting event that I absolutely want to get to in my life. It's it, more for me than the national championship, more for me than uh, any Super Bowl, more for me than outside of like the opportunity to watch my kids play in a game. I, w- I want to go, and I would love to broadcast the, the, the Ryder Cup. I love golf. Um, golf is, is become a passion of mine. Um, I love every aspect about it from the physical to the mental, uh, the comp, the competition, the camaraderie. I mean, the Ryder cup often makes me feel like football, you know, the hatred, the team sport, <laughs> right. how it's all connected. Um, the feistiness, uh, I, not only to go see, I mean, to broadcast it would be out of this world, but I definitely want that as a bucket list for me. Well, listen, uh, get Jimmy and Burke on the phone. I think I just saw that they <laughs> they they signed the deal for Tiger and Rory's uh, 
that new uh, yeah. TGL. They may need some broadcasters yeah. for that. So they, yeah, 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 that's just what I need to still work more. <laughs> it's a good way to get in. All right. Lastly, you have uh, you have triplets, right? You have three boys yes, and sir. a daughter, and they're all essentially under the age of eleven or ten. Yeah, the boys are eleven. Uh, they turn twelve at the end of the year, right around Christmas, and my daughter turns eight in about a week or so. Okay, that's re- um, remarkable. Um, for I don't know how many people in the audience would have triplets. I'm sure I have people who listen to me who have twins. Have you and your yeah. wife? What like if if there is one piece of advice that you and your wife learned about having triplets? What what is it and what it what was it and can you share it? Yeah, early on, make them all one. You know, like we went early on, if one did it, they all did it. If one went to sleep, they all went to sleep. If one ate, they all ate. If one went out and played, they all played. Um, and that was a huge thing for us, like just survival wise, to be <laughs> honest with you. Like I just remember uh, before we had kids, I was that person <clears throat> who would, you know, listen to other adults say like, I can't wait to get home and like have a glass of wine or something. And I would be like, really your kids are that bad you know where you, you just need a glass of wine and now i'm that person who's like you know i cannot wait to just have a glass of wine so um that, that brought some sanity to our life early on i think as they get older um i think the thing that has become a very apparent is they're no longer one um when i mean and i'm not talking age i'm talking like as far, as far as yeah. yeah you know and and i think the more that they grow the more that we are encouraging them to you're i you're yes you're a triplet but you are you're you're, you're yourself as well so go, go kind of be you you're always going to be that triplet brother but you got to go kind of become who the person that you want to become is type of thing and so that that's really difficult to do but it's a necessity yeah the one thing they would tell you if you have twins is to not put the twins in the same class what do they do for triplets yeah. are they in the same class or different i mean sometimes you you don't have different great you know if the school is too small it yeah. might be only everybody's in third grade but if the school's big enough that's usually what they t- i don't know if it's the same with triplets but for twins they say try to go in different classes to forge no. your own d- identity Totally. My wife from the jump got him in separate classes, yeah, which, smart. which was good for us. Um, and it's, it's been good for them. You know, the only thing that they share is a bedroom. They still all sleep in the same bedroom, oh, but other than that, and they play similar sports and whatnot. But, right. um, other than that, it's, it's very much promoting like, yo, you got to kind of go be yourself. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I admire that. It's only one glass of wine or not too. Trust me. I, I have no problem with that. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be somewhat politically correct here. So there you go. All right. Dan Orlovsky, um, you will find him, uh, near daily on NFL live. Uh, he's on get up. He's on first take. Um, which again for ESPN, those are all very, very important shows to um, to the brass uh, there. Um, he's part of the NFL package with Chris Fowler, Lewis Riddick, Laura Rutledge. We didn't talk a lot about her, but I, I am a huge admirer of hers. I think she's fantastic. She's awesome. Um, and um, and they have gotten some excellent games. So again, the new Disney package means that that group that Dan's part of, you know, it's like a one A team. It's not even like a B team just because they have a really good schedule mm-hmm. and a number of games. So that's Thank a really you. that's a good place to be. And then obviously occasionally during college football, uh, you will see him on ABC uh, popping in with uh, Booger McFarland, et cetera. Dan, I enjoyed this. Thank you uh, for the time. I'm, I'm sh- you, you probably have 18 assignments and four podcasts after <laughs> this one. So I wish you uh, luck handling uh, those. And uh, thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Nah, I appreciate your time, but thank you so much. 
All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Dan Orlovsky for his time and his, his insights. I enjoyed that conversation. Uh, head to the archives page. Uh, you should uh, find some stuff you'll appreciate. Uh, last uh, long-form podcast we did was with Pierre Lebrun, the athletic and TSN NHL insider. We talked about covering hockey, how competitive the insider space is. Got a little bit into the uh, big stories for this upcoming season. So check that out couple weeks ago or last week, I should say, we did a lot of the year's best sports writing 2023. That's the book I guest edited. Uh, feel free to check that out on Amazon or where you get your books. And we've had five writers on from that book to explain their stories and uh, and sort of how they put uh, some brilliant work together. Had some mini pods on viewership. Anthony Krupe was a guest on this podcast, Austin Carp, and they talked about uh, viewership stuff from how the NFL is doing in Colorado, etc. And then Iron Eagle on September 25th, uh, uh, talking about a number of uh, things, including his Taylor Swift in-game reference. Again, um, if you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.